0: Chapter 10 of the Shunzi is called Enriching the State, and here Shunzi is discussing making the state better off in a materialistic manner, but what's interesting is that it still goes back to the Tao of the former kings, a rulership that utilizes Li and is based in Ren and E. So think about this chapter as addressing a ruler who's simply interested in the pettier accomplishments of statecraft. In other words, he's not prioritizing morality, he's not prioritizing high minded justice, he's not prioritizing fine culture and moral harmony. He simply wants a state that has a lot of wealth. And so Shunzi is addressing this kind of concern and he's saying well you still need to have followed this way, this Tao, that actually does end up using order and ritual and does as we see in other chapters, allow for harmony to thrive. So where he starts off his chapter is this idea that you have in nature many useful things. So that's the second sentence, they have no intrinsic fittingness but are useful for humans in the world. And then he makes a an important distinction that you may have missed. Um, What people approve of is different, and this divides the wise from the stupid. On the other hand, people all desire the same things and hate the same things. That's line 20. So this tells us there's a difference between approving of something and desiring something. So desiring something has to do with uh, what you want to have naturally and we'll see uh, in the human nature is bad chapter there's more of a clear definition of desire. But for here think about it as this we all desire certain things as human beings such as meat, such as food in general, such as warmth on a cold day or cool weather on a very hot day. We all wish for the same desire for the same things. And that's different from improving of something. So, earlier I had to experience some people being outside, even though it was 95 degrees, being loud outside in this 95 degree weather. So even though, and they ultimately went back in because they couldn't deal with the heat. In other words, the desire to be cooler. And yet these people were not very smart because what they approved of at this time was to be outside. So that's why we can, as soon as it says, what you approve of This is how the wise and the stupid are different. The wise approve of methods or decisions that help them obtain their desires, whereas the stupid, you can think of wise as as intelligent, like the intelligent are those who can figure out, approve of strategies or decisions that help them get what they want, and the stupid are those who are, even though they have the same desires, not capable of figuring out how to get it. So oftentimes the word that gets translated into wise to into wisdom or being wise has more to do with simple intelligence and not really have has to do with necessarily morality. Okay, so Because of this, it's important to make clear social divisions and thereby employ the masses, that's line 30. So you need to have the wise, the intelligent, higher up in those social divisions and use your intelligence to employ the masses so that the whole society is better off. And this makes sense Uh, Because otherwise, what you have is a situation where everybody desires the same source of things and the things that satisfy them are few and so because of this people are sure to struggle over them. So I'm going to use a few examples. One is something that's relatively easy to understand. Uh, It's a very plain example. People struggle over big houses in nice neighborhoods and they struggle over it by offering higher amounts of money to be able to live in bigger houses in nice neighborhoods and of course bigger houses in nice neighborhoods are not very common in other words these are things to satisfy them and they are few. Another example of this is attractive people. Uh, If you look at young people, they're trying to essentially find a mate. And there aren't very, by definition, there are few highly attractive people. And so what you see with these young people is that all these young men try to chase after the same few very pretty women. And you also have something similar where there's a few attractive men and all these women are trying to become that person's girlfriend. And so there's struggle over this. Okay so this as a general proposition is true. Now if we're talking about the world of material things then whether we're talking about diamonds or gold or silver or nice houses or luxury cars These things are few, but highly desired. So they start to struggle over each other, and then furthermore, they start to struggle not only through physical force, by fighting each other, but also through throwing money, right, in order to, say, bid for nice houses to buy. And even furthermore, they even, in line 39, struggle over merit, struggle over status in order to get that promotion, not because they would need that money, but simply because they want to appear better in front of others. And that's why the line right after that says, if the concord between male and female, and the division between husband and wife are without rituals for introduction, patrol, and marriage, then people will face it. Worry of losing Concord and disaster of struggling over mates, and so the wise person makes divisions for these things. Okay, in other words, when we have this kind of contention, it always ends up being connected to the struggle over finding mates. All right, and so why do guys? This is almost you know this is this is like an observation that standing communities make. Why do why do guys? like fancy cars, is because the fancy cars can attract women. Right? And why do why do fancy cars attract women? Because fancy cars are social status symbols. They show, oh, I have all this money. I am somebody. And women overall are attracted to social status, just as men are attracted to physical beauty in women, especially young women. And this is just a um, I'm not I'm not approving of this. I'm not disapproving of it. I'm just simply saying these are desires, right? They come spontaneously, and so this is how the struggling over mates happen. And then, furthermore, um, probably everybody's experienced this. And while they're dating, you know, you're you're dating somebody, she's her girlfriend, and yet you find some guys will try to hit on her, hit on her anyway, maybe right in front of you sometimes. Uh, that's struggling over mates Um, and when you have these sorts of situations, they even get into worse situations such as even after people get married, there's adultery and so forth, and so if you do not have these rituals of uh, introduction, betrothal, and marriage, then you're going to have all of this conflict. We can talk a little bit about these particular Uh, stages, introduction, betrothal, and marriage. Introduction is basically, rituals for introduction is basically um, in a Confucian society, you, you don't just go up to a random person and start hitting on her. This is, you need to be formally introduced. And this will make sense because if you have a situation where people just go up and they just start hitting on other people, this is the beginnings of conflict uh, because this person might already have, you know, a relationship with some other man uh, or this person, this woman might um, not simply be suited for you. And when you have proper introduction, this is different from the betrothal. The betrothal is like the uh, arrangement to get married, but you're not married yet. You know, this is sort of the equivalent of an engagement period. And this too is important uh, because marriage is the last step. Marriage is the official beginning, um, you know, excuse me, marriage, the ritual for marriage is is a wedding, it's called the wedding. And the wedding is the beginning of the actual relation wherein man and woman will be husband and wife and have children. So the betrothal then is when this man and woman are reserved and have future plans to get married. So at this point, you shouldn't be interfering. There's this one popular show uh, that came out, by now it's already you know, more than a decade, uh, The Office and um, you know the central romance in the story is Pam, but she's already engaged and Jen is hitting on her this is not following ritual um, and because this is a work a of work fiction what we find is that this relationship is generally healthy it works out but realistically people who are engaged who flirt with other people and end up breaking up that engagement because of this these people are not the kinds of people to get married and they're not the kinds of people to end up having a happy marriage. So you can enjoy the show, but you must know that this is not realistic. So don't go after engaged women. Even if you quote unquote win, the relationship you're going to have with her is not going to be a good and healthy one. What happens when you don't have these rituals for introduction, betrothal, of marriage? You have a situation like today People are just hitting on each other all the time. They are trying to date. And then because of the situation, it's fundamentally insecure. Why? Because you just happen to be a guy to, you know, talk to this to this girl and she happened to be interested in you. But some other guy could be better looking, some other guy could be more charming. Some other guy could be more generally attractive. He can come by steal your your girl. So then now you know, there's sort of the psychological um pressure unconsciously to to accelerate the relationship in order to keep grasping onto what you have. And this is where you have this issue of uh, people sleeping together before marriage. Now the problem with this is that when a man and a woman um, engage in sexual relations, this bonds them together. And this is why unconsciously you're being drawn to do this in a dating relationship because you want to ensure that this person is going to stay with you and your unconscious and understands by sleeping with this person, this person is going to be connected to you in a more deep, emotional way. However, since you aren't actually betrothed, since you aren't actually married, what ends up happening is that people kind of play a, a mind game with themselves and say, okay, um, they tell themselves, oh, it's not that big of a deal that they had sex. Uh, and so they on one hand, they keep open options, their options, and they don't commit. But at the same time, on a hormonal basis, you've already bonded. And the more people you, you go through this uh, process of bonding them th- with them through sex and then breaking up and then finding a new part, person. It's sort of like using a posting note again and again, that he said that bonding doesn't really work as well as it used to. And that's why you find that people who have had more sexual partners, particularly women, they before they get married, they have a much higher chance of getting divorced, they're less happy and fulfilled in their marriage, and they're more prone to depression. So, if you want to be happy in your marriage, you ought to be careful about who you date, who you sleep with, and you should know something about biology, which is that you will be um, you you will be in danger if you do live a promiscuous life, and this is true for both men and women but women are impacted by this more severely than men are. But men are still impacted. Don't think that just because you're a man, you can just go ahead and um, sleep with a thousand women throughout your life and be fine. Uh, That's not how it works. Okay, Um, so this next part uh, here says, you keep expenditures frugal through ritual, and enrich the people through government. Um, how do we under, How should we understand this? There's two ways that you could keep expenditures frugal through ritual. One is the king and the rest of the government, they um, use ritual to limit their expenditures. So ritual says, okay, this is your ceremony. Don't go beyond it. Don't go below this. So today when people get married, they have their wedding. A lot of people go into tens of thousands of dollars in debt because they want to just have the biggest elaborate party. Flowers everywhere, uh, maybe they get married in Hawaii, you know the whole works and it's all very expensive. That exceeds Lee and therefore you're spending more money than you should. On the other hand it's not lead to do something like a courtroom marriage where you just you know go up to a judge in the middle of a busy day of hearings and then you, you sign a certificate at the end. That's not Lee either. There's a proper amount, a proper degree that is still beautiful and it, it inspires you to be good but at the same time it's not wasteful. That is what Shunzo means by the proper ritual. So in that sense the government does not need to tax too much. Another way to looking to look to understand the idea of keep expenditures frugal through ritual is by uh, guiding people through implementing ritual in the culture, so that the common people collectively do not waste money because they don't themselves they don't have elaborate weddings, for example, and so they're not wasting a whole bunch of money. Another way that this works is that Um, I think it's ridiculous that you have all these car makers, like BMW, Tesla, and so forth, and their cars are not even necessarily any better, that much better at least, than say, Hondas and Toyotas. But people are spending maybe twice as much for a BMW than a Toyota of the same size. Why? because they're competing for status using social status symbols. Well, my neighbor has this car. Why can't I have this car? Does he think I'm not as good as he is? So um, then people just start to waste money. Back then, they didn't have luxury cars. They had more things like jewels and silks. And think about what happens in terms of the macro economy when people are obsessed with status symbols. Then instead of farming, people take their energies to grow silkworms in order to produce more silk and weave the silk, rather than farming food that they need to eat. Uh, or they waste time hunting for foxes, or they waste uh, time taking out jewels and gold from the ground. So this is all things that happen when the people do not keep their own expenditures through ritual. The whole society starts to engage economically in activities that are not fundamentally important, such as agriculture. Okay. Oh, and then line 74, we have this idea, uh, we have this line, accord with virtue and you will enrich your person. This is is about the idea of enriching the people through government um, because you're using government to properly lead people and properly order them and direct their energies to productive ends, there'll be plenty of the right stuff that you need, the correct stuff that you need to flourish economically. Okay. The uh, Next page talks about uh, clothing. You know, I, I've discussed that a little bit um, around line 78, so the son of heaven the king or the emperor, they wear, get to wear certain clothes, um, but then the next uh, uh, status below him, the feudal lords, get to wear something else, etc. One's virtue must have a matching position. That's very important. So a person's virtue should have a matching position, the title. One's position must have a matching salary. In other words, it's not enough to just be called um that title like for example duke you there should be uh or let me put it this way prime minister there should be a matching salary to it and then one salary must have matching uses in other words you should be able to contribute proportionally to society compared to what you are making out of your salary you know so if you're making a lot of money and you have so for example prime ministers that's a you know you're you're a highly virtuous person, okay? Um, you are both smart and you have Ren, Yi, and you abide by Li. So that's overall virtue. And you're one of the most virtuous people in your country, then you ought to be considered to be Prime Minister. That's your matching position. And if you have a matching position, then obviously you should be You should have a high salary, one that is more than, for example, the scribe, you know, that's writing down the records in the court. And then your salary must have matching uses. Uh, So you can understand this in two ways. One is, well, if you're prime minister, you're being paid a lot, you should do good work as being the prime minister. Another way to look at this is, um, the salary shouldn't be just a whole bunch of money that just sits around doing nothing. It has matching uses. So for example, since you're busy being a prime minister, you don't have time to cook your own uh, meals while you're out and travel. So you have servants who follow you to take care of certain things so that you can focus your mind and heart on you know, creating the right policies, making the correct observations and so forth. Okay. Uh, The officers, the officials, all the way up to the prime ministers must be regulated by ritual and music. But the masses and the commoners must be controlled by legal arrangements. So there are different ways to regulate different kinds of people. The officials are more intelligent and more educated in terms of culture. So ritual and music are things that will naturally order them because they are of abstract things the common people are not as smart not as educated in culture so you need, you just need to make the law very direct and clear and offer rewards and punishments in order for them to understand which direction they should go in okay all right so um, there's a, there's a bunch of other things that are more common sense you know measure people's strength and assign them to, uh, uh, an appropriate task um, store up, Excess food, grain in a timely manner. Okay, this is, he calls, balance and arrangement in line 94. Line 95 says, in order for people to live, they cannot be without community. But in order to have community, they need social divisions. Otherwise, they'll struggle with each other and there'll be chaos and there'll be impoverishment. Okay, As we discussed before, when they struggle with each other, you uh, waste resources trying to struggle with each other. Thus, to lack of social divisions is the greatest harm to people. So that's why the former kings in the, in the ancient times divided people up and differentially ranked them, causing some to be pra- praised, others to be disdained, um, others some to be provided for, others to be thinly provided for, etc. Um, they did not do this to gain a reputation for perversity, arrogance, and self-aggrandizement. In other words, they're not just doing this to boost their own ego. Rather, they did it to make clear the proper forms of Ren, and to, in order to promote the smooth operations of Ren. What does this mean? Ren here is like virtue. So uh, Ren is what's noble and good about humanity. And so you elevate virtuous people in order to show to the rest of everybody else This is your role model. This is what you should aspire to be. So that's how you make clear the proper forms of rent. And by promoting virtuous people, they, in that position of leadership, can order society. And that's how you promote the smooth operations of rent. They order society in order to let rent flourish throughout the whole community. And later in this paragraph, starting line 124, we have um, the usage of music in order to uh, differentiate, distinguish noble and lowly, and to establish harmony. This all in order to nurture people's virtue, he says. So the common people rely on the true king's um, on the true king's wisdom and later on we'll we'll talk about why uh in a later chapter the king has a lot of uh basically he lives what can be considered in today's words a luxurious lifestyle and i don't um, maybe I should be careful in the uses of that word because luxury today means a whole greater level, high, much greater level than what it used to be back then. Um, what luxury, what I mean by this is that um, the son of heaven has a very easy lifestyle. Things are taken care of for him. You know, He's not, for example, vacuuming his own floors. You know, um, He's not thinking, oh, how do I save money? Uh, He just eats whatever he wants to eat, you know. Um, So, and that, we'll talk about that later, but overall, this is in order to free up his heart and mind to focus on nurturing the people so that he is not distracted with, you know, um, his creature comforts, you know. Think about it this way. If you're sick, you're not really in the most benevolent mood, right? And that's because you are, Creature comforts are essentially threatened, you know, you're not feeling well. Okay, so let's go talk about line 168. And so I say the gentleman, the junzo relies on virtue, the pegyemen relies on strength. This is in the context of uh, governing, of course. So what does it mean to rely on strength? This is when a person as a leader, maybe he's a king, maybe he's in today's terms a president, um, and he relies on strength, meaning he wants to have a bigger military. He wants to have more police. He wants to enlarge the number of laws in order to punish people. This is the usage of strength. On the other hand, the Junzi, when he's king, when he's leader, relies on virtue. And so strength is a servant of virtue. So virtue is not mutually exclusive with strength. It's it is higher than that. And so that's why the petty man who is concerned with the lowlier things, the lower things, focuses on strength instead. So by using virtue to lead, you can get the community to become harmonious. At every level. So at the end of this paragraph on line 176, he says, "Without him, the the Jinza who is who is leader, relations between father and son will not be close. Relations between brothers will not be smooth. Without um, without the junzo as leader, relations between man and woman will not be happy." Again, this goes back to people's marriages, right? That part about um, earlier on in the chapter. You know the proper rituals for introduction, betrothal, marriage that prevents this chaotic situation of dating. One thing that you might be thinking about when I when I talked about this is, well, isn't dating good? We get to choose our own spouses. But the biological reality is that as long as you don't meet too many other people of the opposite sex that you're not family members that are not family members. Um most people will actually, in that situation, be happy with the person they are betrothed to. because um, if you think about going back to why people find um, why women find certain men attractive, and why men find certain women attractive, it, it, it goes back to some fundamentally basic things. So um, regarding men, um, they're very taken by two things, female form, like for example, having a nice head to waist ratio, and uh, youth, because those, those two things are what enables women to have a lot of children uh, without birth defects and without themselves as, as mothers dying during the um, birth giving process during labor. And so uh, men are pretty happy. Um, men are very um, uh, enthralled if, if a woman is uh, young and has a good, uh, you know, good figure, is, is healthy. Um, and, and so that's not hard to find, especially back then, before we all had cars and never really walked in, you know, walked for most of our days. Um, and so, yeah, and men of course prefer pretty faces. On top of this, but and that is more uncommon by definition. Um, but if you don't see that many faces, who, whom are you going to compare your uh, wife to, right? So um, you know, if it, this reminds me of another fact that's also very important. College professors, male college professors, have the highest divorce rate of any profession, and. Why is this? Because if you think about it from a fundamental social and biological basis, sociobiological basis, then what you have is with a male college professor, they're surrounded by all these young women who are very respectful to him and look up to him. So that's both the biology and the social dynamic. And so when they come home to their four-year, five-year-old wife, who's not young, um, and probably herself is also a professor or some, you know, well-to-do situation, and she's not really um, admiring him, at least not anymore, he becomes very dissatisfied. So he might not ever have a relationship with any of his students, um, but he'll still end up being unhappy with the marriage and end up getting divorced. So if, you know, if you want to be happy in your marriage, um, don't go to places where there are a lot of young uh, attractive women. Uh, don't just just kind of avoid those places. This is also why I, you know it's also not healthy for men in general to um, uh, look at anything online. You know what I mean by this, uh, where there's a lot of attractive women you know, behaving in uh, very easy ways, okay? And I'm not even talking about Strictly's, um, you know, strictly, um, you know, you already have certain things in mind, but I'm even thinking about simply just celebrity culture, you know, uh, that could be included. And speaking of which, um, it's not healthy for young women to get into boy bands. Uh, This is also not good. For them either, because, uh, and you know, these days you even have girl, you know, girl groups, right, which are kind of the boy bands for young men. Uh, but this is this is basically the same problem. You have these very flattering portrayals of these young, attractive people, and then that becomes a new standard. You know, so now now the good-looking guy in the uh, like next door, the girl, the cute girl next door, she's not enough. You know, because she's not part of. Out of a black pink or something or twice whatever whatever is out there right So um, yeah I mean you can you can still be aware of pop culture even though you're a Confucian scholar um, Just don't spend much time trying to go into you know looking at that that kind of stuff. I'm aware of it I don't really know it. Okay, so when we when we're regarding women in regards to dating, women think about what they're attracted to. They're attracted to men of high status. This is kind of the common thing. So this is also why I uh, generally uh, recommend, if you can, um, if you can, um, if you can find, figure out a way to make this work out financially. Uh, try to ha- try to be a single income household where the uh, where the man goes out to work because if you're if, if the wife goes out to work and especially if she makes more money than the husband and if she has a male boss the highest status male who gets to tell her what to do and whom she has to be respectful to is not the husband it's the boss and that I'm not saying that uh, she's going to want she's going to necessarily be attracted to him, but she's going to be unhappy with her husband she's she might see her husband unconsciously subconsciously as weak she might just uh, feel like she's being overworked and again I'm not approving of these feelings I'm simply saying this is spontaneously what happens and then you get into all this kind of weird weird stuff like um I don't know if this is still a thing, but some people, some young people kind of joke about having a work husband or work wife, and this is also not good. You know, you want to keep these sorts of feelings to your actual husband, whether or not you're at home or at the workplace. Um so it's you know, if you do have a situation where you are introduced, betrothed, and married. You don't have a dating situation. Um, you will still end up, and you you know you don't really meet other many people of the opposite sex. It's very easy to for a woman to find her husband to be the highest status male in her life um, that she's not related by blood to. So it's it it becomes much easier. And status, of course, is always a relativistic thing. And so is physical attraction. It's always relativistic. Um, you know, to some degree, I mean, um, but certainly status is 100% relativistic. You know? So if you want to have a good marriage, just avoid people of the opposite sex that you're not related to. Okay? Especially, uh, you know, Young woman. Okay, so um, if you have this kingly, uh, if you have this true king leading the society, then people's relations become harmonious. So ultimately, clear social divisions are about leadership. They allow people to figure out who is virtuous and fo- uh, role model themselves after them. And then furthermore, the virtuous get to use their intelligence or wisdom in order to make smart decisions, to preserve people's energies, to keep them from working too hard, to make sure that the riches of the country is abundant, that food is plentiful and so forth. Now we get to line 216 and beginning here for the next page and a half, um, we have a discussion about Mozart. Now Mozart, of course, is our proto-communist according to Mencius because he emphasizes equality. Shenzi is more focusing on the part of Mozart's philosophy that encourages extreme frugality. He wants to get rid of ritual and music, because those things cost time and money and resources. And so line 216 Shenzhou says, in his teachings, Mozart worries very conspicuously about insufficiency for the whole world. I like that term, because very worries very conspicuously. It's like virtue signaling, right? Like I am very concerned about this issue, about the environment. It's like Mozart worries very conspicuously about this, right, okay. Um, However, insufficiency is not the common disaster facing the world. You can also say this about the environment uh, in the sense that insufficiency and environmental problems are symptoms of larger fundamental problems, right? Of larger fundamental causes, okay? Remember, according to sons of the world, the natural world is naturally plentiful. And he does say that in line 233, um, the way the heaven and earth give birth to the myriad things is such that there is originally an abundance sufficient to feed people. Okay. So, insufficiency is not the common disaster facing the world. According to Shunzi, it is actually chaos. So, the next paragraph, line 239, says instead, the common disaster facing the world is that chaos harms it. Why don't we inquire together what is what is it, or who is it that makes it chaotic? I take it that Mozart's rejection of music will make the world chaotic, and his advocacy of frugal expenditure will cause the world to be impoverished. It's not an attempt to slander him. It's that his teachings simply cannot avoid these results. Um, you can make a similar argument and say, look, something like communism, right, We we. Criticize communism, not in order to slander anybody, but because just naturally it'll produce bad results. So, Mozart, um, he would deny the music, he would deny them the, 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 uh, even ritual, we find out in another paragraph. But ritual and music are ways in which we create harmony, we create order and those things, harmony and order, ensures that people's energies are being put to good use and they're not uh, fighting each other for what's out there. And so there is plenty. That is a summary of this argument uh, of the next few paragraphs. Okay. Indeed, the beautiful things and ornaments, including music and ritual, will inspire people. And after that, now you can increase your personnel, set up more official positions, promote awards, make punishments. Okay. And when rewards work and punishments inspire awe, the worthy can be gotten to come and advance in your society. And the capable can be given offices. So, Music and ritual are indeed actually important, according to Sunzu. Implicit in this argument, and we find support for this in other chapters, as well as Confucian philosophy in general, is the idea that people are uh, will be wealthy in a spiritual sense. If the culture is good. If the culture is good, you can be happy with limited amounts of material goods. So, If you live in a peaceful community, what need do you have for a really big house? If you are happy with your families and get to spend time with them, what need is there for expensive vacations? So you can think about how much in today's society do you actually spend in order to compensate for living in a immoral and unharmonious, disharmonious society full of conflict, whether the conflict is within the family, between neighbors, or even more broadly, political conflict or economic conflict. Okay, two, a few more ideas here in this chapter worth uh, discussing. Um, lines 334 is pretty interesting, I like this here. Uh, if one neglects important tasks to nurture the common people, coddling and be- babying them, making gruel for them in the winter and giving them melons important in summer, in order to steal brief moments of praise from them. This is a thieving way. So basically what he's talking about is, what you're doing is spoiling the people. You're, give- you're-, you're giving out handouts, okay? And um, why is this a thieving way? Because in this manner, you can briefly obtain the vile common people's praise. Um, maybe a better way to understand this is the uh, the, the, pra- the vile praise that comes from the common people. Um, but it is not a way that one can persist for a long time. Important tasks are sure not to be completed and accomplishments are sure to not hold up for these are violent methods of governing. In other words, he's he's basically saying, look, if you give all these handouts, you're not really focusing on fundamental economic things, which is that people work in order to produce, and then that is what allows the state to flourish economically long-term. So a lot of liberal parties in different countries tend to give handouts, and neglect the fundamentals of economies. Now, I'm not letting the conservative parties off the hook either, the ones that you know tend to be very gung-ho about any kind of form of capitalism, uh, especially the big corporations, corporate type. So the next part here is if one harshly works to common people and rushes them to accord with the seasons, advancing in tasks and developing teams, taking bad reputation lately, being content with losing to people's affections, The task will indeed be accomplished, but the commoners will hate it. This cannot also work because it is merely stealing in another one side of the matter. In other words, the opposite direction. It moves towards self-destruction, falls into collapse, and sure to result in no achievements. Okay, why? The next couple of Paragraphs tells us, basically to summarize it, Shenzi advocates for harmonious adjustment which is basically, he describes it as adding to the people's work and relieving from them from it um, is better than rushing and hurrying them, practicing loyalty, trustworthiness, and even handedness is better, more persuasive than offering rewards and prizes, incentives, um, and, and using uh, inspiring awe, um, using your personal uh, virtue as an example, these things he calls harmonious adjustment, which I, um, you know, he uses that term earlier, early on in this chapter. Basically, this is sort of a middle way. You're not letting the people be lazy and just giving them handouts. On the other hand, you're not constantly working them. And this is what we should all strive to do economically. We don't want people to work too much, but we we do want them to work. There's a correct balance that needs to be accomplished. And even-handedness is important in that sense. And so you will have natural loyalty. And again, if you can, it's always better to inspire people through culture, Li, and virtue rather than using laws, punishments, and incentives and rewards. Okay, next paragraph um, talks about teaching the people before uh, uh, punishing them. Um, It also talks about having to reward them in addition to offering punishments for bad deeds. So you reward them when they do good. Um, And this is important. If one simply punishes the people when they do wrong, but never rewards them, then the people who cleave to hard work will not be encouraged. It's very important. And it's not just physical hard work we're talking about, but it's also moral hard work. I think today we don't award people for for work, for doing things morally or in terms of virtue. And so we have, um, you know, it's very hard to find people who actually do that. Not that they should be motivated by external rewards, but um, it's a little like raising a child. You know, at first, uh, he doesn't want to do stuff like study, so you give him one strategy. Might do might be to encourage him with words of praise or other kinds of de facto rewards, you know. And then eventually, he does develop within himself a passion for studying or whatever good activity uh, you want him to have. Um, want to encourage him in he starts to develop that passion independently. Okay. It doesn't always work, but uh, that can be one strategy. This next paragraph, I really like some of these lines here, the next couple of paragraphs. Um, so the former kings, they nurtured and raised the people as though caring for a newborn. They first showed the people care and then they put them to work. So the king really is acting as a father to his people. That's a true key. Around line 474, there's a lot of discussion. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm gonna go back here. Uh, line 420, 421 actually. In observing whether a state is well-ordered chaotic in good shape or not, when one arrives at the territorial boundaries, the signs are already apparent. This is very important because, because it has a very clear application today. If the Walshman patrols are sparse and the government controls that the borders and passes involve extensive investigations, this is simply the sign of a chaotic state. Okay. Uh, what does this mean? Extensive investigations. We do that today at our borders and passes, at the airport and at the actual land borders. What we do is we use a lot of X-rays to see things through, and at this point we're even using these scanners. You know, if you go in there, you raise your hands, and it goes around you. It sweeps. It's actually looking underneath your clothes, and so it's basically doing a virtual strip search of you. And this is clearly extensive investigation. In fact, it goes beyond. It transgresses against Lee, E, and Ren. Totally perverse. And so the person who allowed this to happen is a terrible leader. And the person whose idea it was to do this is a perverse person. Who honestly probably should, under the rule of a righteous king, face execution. Because it is truly debasing to do something like this. It is not acceptable. And this is an, an extensive investigation. It demeans you as a human being to go through this. And not coincidentally, once this started being the standard for every airport, people's behavior in society degenerated drastically. So at this point, what we had was we find people wearing underwear in public, uh, wearing leggings as very tight, leggings as pants, um, because the government does set moral standards for the common people. The common people, most people are not righteous independently. They're not going to think about and say, that is wrong. They just go with the flow. They're, they're hurt, hurt animals. They go with the flock. They go with what, every, what everybody else does. So, this is clearly a sign of a degrading and dysfunctional chaotic state and likewise it has a degrading and dysfunctional government. It's perverse, it's evil. Why in general does extensive investigation, why is that a sign of chaotic of a chaotic state? There's two ways to look at this uh, and understand what Shunza meant 2,500 years ago. One is that there's a contradiction between sparse watchman patrols and yet extensive investigation when you get at the uh, border pass. Um, in other words, it's somehow an attempt at being very careful about security, but at the same time very sloppy. So in that sense, it's it's chaotic. You know, another way to understand that it's chaotic is. Is that this is not the rule of a true king? A rule of a true king does not need to fear people coming in, because the rule of a true king, uh, or the king and his the true king and his reign, makes it so that he has a society that people look at and say, yes, that's morally righteous. Yes, that's a place where I can be a, a human being. Yes, that's a place that I can flourish. So they want to come in, not to cause trouble, not to attack, but to be part of that wonderful community. And if you think about one of the big justifications for things like um, attacks um, against us is our own, you know, your own country or our own country, right? Depending on you know where where you and I live. Um, that culture is perverse and so that incites that invokes uh, aggressiveness against uh, your community if your community is perverse if your community is evil and especially if your community is over at that other person's community causing trouble then it's going to provoke a hostile response so chaotic states feel the need to extensively investigate people coming in it's also because they don't trust their own people uh, ultimately either right so if you for example if you are an American and yet you're being extensively investigated you know by going from one city flying from one city in America to another city in America this means your government you know your government doesn't really trust you why isn't it trusting you because it knows fundamentally you're unhappy, <laughs> so it's 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 just so it's just so dysfunctional. It's awful. Okay. Um, okay. Now we finally get to line four uh, seventy four. Um, agricultural uh, and tax policy is discussed here, and actually a little bit uh, before there. Uh, basically, you know, we we have some basic ideas that make sense. Um you know if you you want to have um, standards and measures, uh, you want to uh, you, you want to you want to keep taxes relatively low, you want to store your extra grain for famine times. Uh, this is all just very practical advice, but you don't need to be a Confucian to appreciate this part. So the last thing I want to talk about, the very last thing of this chapter is very interesting. Line one, five, six, uh, sorry, five, five, nine. To serve a violent state is hard, but to make a violent state serve oneself is easy. There's a saying that says this. Now shows is going to explain this a little bit. And um, he's quoting the state, excuse me, he's quoting this saying, uh, I think because um, it is a little simplistic, and Shunzi is about accurate words. Any Confucian scholar is wants to be as accurate and precise with his language as he could possibly get. So Shunzi knows that this is a little reductive; it's oversimplistic, and that's why he's saying, you know, um, this. He is saying that this is a quote. Um, but he's going to explain what it means to serve a violent state and why ultimately this is futile, and why it is better to get a violent state to serve your own state. Okay, so let's start with the first part. If you, what is what is a violent state? A violent state is one in which uh, is basically led is, is violent inside and outside. So they exercise oppression against their own people and they also go start wars against others. You might be living in a violent state. Don't think that because your country used to be considered a first world country in the Cold War, or your country is now, or used to be a global superpower, that you're not being oppressed. This is not true. I'm not gonna name names here, but you probably have a sense of uh, you know what I'm talking about. So you might actually be living in a violent state currently. The thing about violent states is that they will always want more. So this line, the more pains one goes in serving the violent state, the more the violent state will encroach upon you. The situation will surely come to the point where your own resources are depleted and your whole state is offered up and only then will it stop. In other words, only when they take you over and they oppress you will they stop making demands? Now, the thing that Shunzi says is that instead you should cultivate your ritual. You should establish a righteous government on the proper models. So cultivate ritual to set your leadership, your court, to rectify models, for conduct, to set straight your leaders, your officials, to make a government even-handed. Then everything will go work well. You will have plenty of strength. You will have great reputation. You will have awe-inspiring authority. And because of this, you can thrash the violent state. Now today, It's hard to imagine how this can be the case because of technology and because some of these violent states today have a lot of land and a lot of technology and a lot of economic resources, it is difficult to kind of imagine how this might work and indeed in the last 200 years there have been states that are far more righteous, Ren and Li than colonial conquerors. So I'm not going to oversimplify the application to today, but I will say this, the nature of technology is that it does spread. And in any case, even great and powerful countries like the United States cannot succeed in every endeavor. If you look at Vietnam or Afghanistan and Afghanistan has a long history regarding great empires failing to uh, control it, then you can understand that there is something to this idea that if you have this fierce loyalty because you as a leader are renowned for righteousness, for justice, for humanity, for benevolence, and you are somebody who acts inspiringly, through Li, virtual propriety, then you have a much better chance at contending with the violent states. So overall, this chapter, chapter nine, is saying even if you're only concerned with wealth and power, physical power, you still should follow the ways of the former kings, the Tao of the former kings, that are based in Ren, Yi, order, hierarchy, and low taxes in order so that you can get even these petty things. And of course in later chapters, students will explain how much greater benefits you do get beyond the materialistic dimensions of life.